Welcome to Scholarship Provider Coffee Talks, a podcast for funders to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we are discussing how COVID continues to change how students and donors are served. We talk about things like scholarship deferrals, referrals, students taking gap years, and we hear from scholarship providers on the changes they are seeing in their application processes. This discussion comes from a recorded webinar that was moderated by Elise Brayton. Elise has been working in the field of college access and scholarships for over 10 years. So the first voice you'll hear in this episode is Elise's, and she is joined by our guest host, Lauren Gravel. All right, let's join the conversation. All right. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Elise Barrios-Brayton, and I'm a manager of client services here at Foundant. Um, My specialty, of course, is grants and scholarships, mainly scholarships. So hence why I am here uh, with this coffee talk with you. I I love all things scholarships and scholarship discussion. Um, I've spent um, over a decade managing scholarships myself before joining the team here at Foundant. So uh, this is definitely something that I enjoy. And with it uh, looks like almost 60 attendees so far today. Uh, we have everything we need for a great discussion. Um, today's discussion is on deferrals, renewals, and new funds. So we've got a lot of different things kind of all um, coming into play together right now, particularly as we look at these three areas in um, how they play with COVID and the current situation that we find ourselves in. So. Uh, This topic really came as part of a collaborative conversation uh, with our guest host today here, um, Lauren uh, Gravel from Grand Haven Area Community Foundation. Uh, Lauren, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Elise. Um, I'm happy to be be co-hosting with you. Um, I'm the Education and Youth Initiatives Officer at the Grand Haven Area Community Foundation in Michigan. And a large part of my role is managing our scholarship program, and I'm excited to be here and learn and share with all of you. I would like for us to start and uh, with the pros and cons of offering deferrals. So let's launch into this. Actually, Lauren, I'd love for you to share a bit about your policies and how they came about, and then we'll open it up for additional input from everyone else. So. Start raising your hand now if you think that you would like to share a pro or a con or a story about your deferrals and how they came to be. So Lauren, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, um, so we have always had um, a handful of deferrals in our in our program um, due to award displacement that is common for most scholarship providers in some of our larger awards. And so we used to take that on a case-by-case basis. Um, and then COVID hit and we had all of the questions coming in. Should I apply? Shouldn't, should I not apply? I'm not sure where I'm going. Um, I don't know if I'm going to attend in person or what, what this is gonna look like. So we ended up crafting um, a pretty robust and comprehensive um, deferral policy for either um, recipients that um, have funds being displaced. Um, they may be having a, a temporary crisis in their personal life um, and can't can't be enrolled at a point in time. Um, They may be facing a medical issue or they may be going into the service for a period of time. Um, So we kind of put those four buckets knowing that COVID could easily fit into medical or personal. Um, And for our medical and 
personal deferrals. Um, we'll take those on a semester basis. Um, everything else could be a year deferral. Um, and again, we, you know, case by case basis, we have a, a deferral form we ask them to fill out um, stating why they need to defer their funds and um, will approve most likely um, their request for deferral and move forward from there. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious what others do and um, if it's just for specific components of deferral or across the board, um, but that's kind of how we've started tackling it, um, knowing that award displacement um, was kind of our trigger and then COVID hit and, and we just felt like we needed to have a policy in place. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so important. I think a lot of people found themselves in that situation um, this last year. Paula in the chat uh, just asked, you know, would you be willing to share your policy? And I would encourage anyone who's got a current deferral policy, um, we're going to have some discussions opening up in uh, Compass, which is our online community here at Foundit. Um, and that is a great way to share those policies. You can share documents right in there and um, keep this conversation going. Any raised hands? Anybody else doing deferrals? I appreciate this conversation because we very seldom have a request for a deferral, but this year because of COVID, it's been um, a little bit more than usual and some unusual circumstances. I was just going to ask the same question about whether um, you'd be willing to share your forms also, particularly the form that you have uh, the students fill out. Um, if you have a template for that, that would be awesome. So. Yeah, I will upload that um, all to Compass for all of you. Okay. All right. That's really all I wanted. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's great. We will take it, Lori. <laughs> Who else do we have with a hand raise? We are located in uh, Springfield, Missouri, the Community Foundation of the Ozarks. Oh, great. So, so we we do do referrals on a kind of a ba uh, base or case-to-case -case scenario. Um, and we haven't seen really any increase because of COVID from last year. This scholarship season is a mess because we had already closed our scholarship season when COVID really did hit and shut us down last year. So my question really is, what, what do you do then when the following year comes and the fund doesn't give out a scholarship because you've deferred money for them? Or do you continually just give out money and just how, how, do, you, how do you keep track of all that? Oh, this is a great topic. So, uh, you know, Lauren, feel free to give any feedback, but I really want to call out any of our attendees who are, are experienced at doing deferrals and managing deferrals. Please raise your hand because we could really use your input here. So, Lauren, any thoughts on those, on that? Yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, we, we already allocated all of the payments in our financial system um, before anybody would have had a deferral approved. So the fund was already, um, that year's allocation was already spent and deducted from the fund. So, um, you know, we would have had that new spendable calculated this year and have that available to award um, because we pulled the funds from our 2020 budget. Right. So um, 
Yeah, so what I'm hearing here, I'm just going to restate to make sure that I'm clear on what you're saying there, Lauren, as well, um, is that you, um, because the award was given in, let's say, 2019, it was pulled from that fund at that time, was earmarked for that scholarship award, and it was never, um, you didn't, when that person deferred, you didn't give a scholarship to an alternate that year. It was just deferred, and it just stayed with that person. So the next year, you had funding for that deferral and for a new award. Did I get that right? You did. That's right. Perfect. Beth, does that make sense? Is that helpful? Yes, that does help. Um, it, it's just how do they keep track of that really like um, in their system then? Yeah. We, long, yeah, go ahead. We we don't use found it. We use um we have a kind of hybrid model right now um, of we use uh, a COIA and then we use financial edge and um, granted GE for payments. So we would just bump out that payment date. Um, you know, we'd put a note in saying we have a deferral and we'd put out, um, you know, I'd forward date that to May of or summer of the next um, year, our scholarship payments would go out. And Beth, if you're using Community Suite, it's a really similar workflow. Um, are you a Community Suite client, Beth? Not yet, but that's the way we're going. So um, okay. hopefully soon. I think that will help a lot once we get switched over with our payments and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a good workflow for these deferrals within Community Suite. Okay. So once you get switched over, you can definitely work with your, your um, accounting CSM on that for sure. Okay, thank you. Oh. Absolutely. All right. What are the other, anybody see any real good wins with deferrals? Have some great, like, this is why these are the best way to manage your scholarships or some cons, things that are difficult in the workflow for deferrals. Elise, Let's, there was a question in the Q&A Amy has about, um, do you allow deferrals based on ineligibility for payouts, such as for not meeting GPA requirements? That is such an interesting question. Um, and it, I, I can tell you that this is something that I had some experience with and I would love to hear other people's experience with. Do you allow students who, let's say they drop to a 1.9 GPA and the minimum GPA is the 2.0, do you allow them to just, um, to just kind of hold off on their award while they work to get their GPA back up? Um, that's really interesting. We actually did that at the foundation that I was at on a case-by-case -case basis. So if there was a, um, a family emergency or something that caused this to happen, um, then we would, we would do that on occasion, but that was very few and far between. That was not a regular occurrence. Um, Lauren, have you had any experience with that? Had anybody asked for that? Yeah, I would, I would echo, we did it on a case-by-case -case basis as well. Um, and I think that for us, that's uh, covered a little bit more in our renewal process and the process we put as they um, are filling out their renewal form to see if they're, if they're um, meeting the requirements. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I don't know that we would defer, but we would make sure that they're getting the right support um, systems in place and kind of do some coaching in that way. 
Yeah, yeah. And it looks like Heather in the chat might have um, some experience with this. Heather, I'd love for you to raise your hand so that we can unmute you and uh, and get your um, your feedback on that. Um, so I'm with the American Savings Foundation. We're a private foundation in Connecticut. Great. Um, so we actually see the issue of student GPAs come up quite a bit. So we've had this practice where we notify the student that they're on academic review. If their GPA drops below our requirement, they'll still get that semester's payment. Um, but we do tell them that future renewals or installments depend on showing academic improvement. And by that, we mean the GPA doesn't necessarily have to come back up to our requirement, but we just need to see it moving in the right direction. Oh, that's great. So rather than saying, you know, you, you missed the mark, you're done with your scholarship, or even you missed the mark, we won't fund you until you come back up. You say, you know, you missed the mark and show us that you are improving and we'll continue. Absolutely. And for a financial need-based scholarship, so we do tend to see that a lot of our students have a lot of other situations going on, whether it's personal situations, mental health situations, they just have a lot on their plates. So by doing that, it allows us to really stick by them and help them continue to get their degree. Whereas if we just dropped our money, they might've just felt like it was just one more barrier they couldn't overcome. Absolutely. No, I think that's great and wonderful feedback. I'm so glad that you, um, you voiced that. I think it's not um, always common to really be thinking in that direction um, on, on student success and student um, access to scholarships. So that's, that's fantastic. Thanks, Heather. Um, well, Lisa, there was one more question in the Q&A Jill had where she said, when you say, do we offer deferrals, our committees make all the decisions, do you have to advocate to the individual committees to offer deferrals or is this a practice you set up at the inception of these scholarship funds? Yeah, that is a great question, Lauren. I'm gonna I'm gonna hand that one over to you to, to talk about how you um, implemented this. But I think there's probably lots of different ways. So if this is something that someone else on the call did, um, I'd love for you to raise your hand to be able to respond to this question. I have lots of different answers, Lauren. Yeah, I think that. Um you know, every scholarship program is so vastly different. Um, and ours, I think, is a little bit different from, from many where we have one scholarship committee for our 130 funds. Um, and so we have three subcommittees out of that. Um, so I wouldn't run them by, by our scholarship committee. I may send an update, but, um, you know, our um, scholarship committee and our board of trustees also, um, makes a resolution at our board meeting to give um, our staff and our CEO um, the ability to make some of those decisions um, on the fly because we know timing is, is important in, in some of those deferral cases. So um, we're granted permission to make those calls based on um, our knowledge and expertise of, of higher ed and student circumstances. That's great. So in a lot of ways, really just kind of baked into your relationship with donors and, and what it is that they are, are kind of contracting with you to do, for lack of a better word. I know it's not a contract, but um, that relationship expectation. Anybody else have other comments on that? I am about 
ready to move our conversation to the next topic. So if you have something that you've been waiting and holding on to about deferrals, now's the time. Get it in there. Raise your hand because we're going to move over. Oh, looks like we have Beth raise her hand again. So let's, uh, let's get Beth unmuted. So I'm with the Community Foundation of the Virgin Islands. So I was just going to speak like I guess a little bit more generally about how we handle deferrals, but we use the scholarship system with Foundant. And I honestly don't know how we would manage <laughs> deferrals without it. Um, we've had it ever since I've worked here, but we mostly just use payment due dates as the way to manage the deferral. So if we're gonna defer it for one semester or a year, we'll just change the due date of the payment accordingly as well as the acceptance form that they have to submit to us. And then we just use the payment tracker within the system. Um, I think prior to using Foundin, it was just a very messy spreadsheet, but I fortunately was not involved in that. But for deferrals in general, we don't have a policy or a form or anything. It's really just kind of case by case. Um, we had really two bad hurricanes in 2017. So pretty much ever since then, we've been able We've been trying to be as flexible as possible with deferrals because we still have kids that are affected from those hurricanes with their schooling and now with COVID and parents losing jobs and all of that kind of stuff. So everything is case by case, but we always try to provide them the scholarship if we can. Thank you. That is really great feedback. Yeah. So for those of you who are working in SLM, um, we're talking about the installment due date there as the um, kind of the date that you can push out for deferral to, to track that. Um, and I think really, you know, having a system, whether it's Foundant or whatever you're using, where you can push out those due dates is just incredibly important as you're working through those deferrals. Thanks so much, Beth. I think that comment, Elise, might even play into the, the question that we have from Angela about they, they send a one-time payment in the fall to new recipients and renewals, and she's wanting to know how she would defer a payment. Um, yeah, so if, you, if it's a one-time payment, um, then you're probably just sending it out, and, and then that's, that's kind of it. And Angela, I may have you go ahead and raise your hand. I, I feel like I need a little more context for this question. And I think others might need a little more context as well to give you some really good um, feedback and uh, on it. So uh, I encourage you to raise your hand. I'm from Community Foundation of Lorain County in Ohio. And what has happened is that we have students that um, their GPAs have fallen below the requirement and basically this is like the first time this has happened. So I'm trying to figure out how it would defer. And I just wanted to run it by you guys. Maybe I can get an updated report, <laughs> report, great report, um, because our deadline was actually yesterday. Mm -hmm. and, so are these, are these for students with re renewals? So like- yes, yes, with the renewal students, yes. Perfect. Okay, this is a great launch right into our next topic of renewals. And it's kind of still having to do with deferrals too. So excellent segue there, Angela. It's like we planned it. So the, uh, the topic in question here, and I encourage everyone to raise your hands. Is if a student has fallen below that 
uh, GPA or is in danger of falling below that GPA for their renewal, how do you handle that? How do you keep them in your pipeline and, and you know, give them, you know, some of the grace that we heard Heather talking about as far as, you know, being able to still fund them through that, that difficulty, but also monitoring that progress really closely. Uh, does anybody, if anybody has um, experience with this or what they do with their renewal students when they don't quite make that GPA requirement, we would love for you to raise your hand and uh, talk a little bit with us about your renewal. Lauren, have you um, experienced this? You said you had a few renewals that you are managing as well. Yeah, we have um, one scholarship. I love this story. And um, this student was actually, I run our Youth Advisory Council. He was a part of of that um, and received the scholarship before I took over our scholarship program management. But um, we have a, a four-year renewable scholarship that is to um, one of the top students in um, one of two school districts and they get 10,000 a year for four years. It's a beautiful, beautiful scholarship fund, um, but we awarded it to a high-flying student who had a, a really tough time adjusting to um, college academics and um, didn't feel like high school had prepared him well and his GPA was slipping, um, but we knew there were some other dynamics going on too. And so um, just like others have said, we you know didn't pull back that scholarship. We just kind of said, okay, we need to see progress on your GPA and um, just did more regular check-ins with him. Um, and we, he graduated a few years ago and we received um, this wonderful letter from him just, you know, saying how much he's grown and um, how grateful he is that we never took his scholarship away from him because it made the difference in his educational journey. Um, so we try to take it on a case-by-case -case basis, but um, kind of to Angela's question, um, you know, those check-ins with the students and if, if they're on the fence with their renewal, um, kind of that close contact and uh, updates, you know, monthly or whatever, quarterly, whatever works um, for your scholarship payment cycle works is what we've, we've adapted to. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in my scholarship management uh, days, one of the things that we would do is we would ask students who were at this point that they you know, kind of should be losing their their scholarship. Um, we asked them to make a plan and write out a plan for how they were going to, um, you know, get kind of like get back uh, into good academic standing with us and and maybe with their university, but that they were going to, uh, you know, attend you know this tutoring session and you know retake this class to uh, replace that low grade or whatever it might be, you know, we just asked them to, to outline a plan um, so that we knew that they were thinking about it and they were working with their academic advisor at their university. Uh, in rare occasions, we would be their academic advisor and we would bring them in and really uh, go through their academics with them. That was a very wraparound service oriented program. So a little bit different than some um, capacity and scholarship programs that are out there. But I think there's there's nothing wrong with uh, a student kind of giving you that outline of 
what they think they need to do to um, to get better and to to do well. Elise, so, there was a, a question from Amanda um, oh, yeah. about how many check-ins with recipients are part of the normal year. Oh yeah, so I think it really depends on the type of um, the type of program you run. I think we see everything from um, and everybody, please raise your hand if you'd like to talk about your particular way of managing this. Uh, we see everything from, uh, you know, a one-time check-in at the beginning of their award where they provide you the proof of registration and that's it. They get their funding and they're on their way. Um, and with renewals, um, I think we see annual and we see by semester. Um, I've definitely seen both. On occasion, we'll see things that are more intensive than that, but that's usually if there's additional wraparound services being provided to the student. Lauren, what does, does your check-in for your referrals look like? What's the cadence there? Yeah, so we um, kind of just like what you said. So we check in with our um, renewals once um, every cycle um, when we ask them to uh, renew their award and complete a form. They're not asked to complete our entire application again, but we also um, do two touch points with all of our recipients throughout the year at the end of the first semester um, and at the end of the year. And I guess those would be true check-ins aside from please confirm your school. Um, and we send out a survey and ask them um, to kind of tell us a little bit just so that we either, well, we A, know, you know how we're doing in our program um, and what we're providing to students and B, just so that we can get kind of a baseline of, of data on our recipients. and. I will say it was fascinating this year that um, students want more touch points than two. Um, so it, it was fascinating. So we've got some um, systems in place now to kind of send more things out. And with COVID, we included a, a lot of mental health resources and reminders, um, gentle reminders, just to all of our recipients to take care of themselves. Um, and so I think that was it was different for us this year, but I think it's something we'll keep doing moving forward. That's great. What a what a positive change to come out of um, a kind of a negative world experience. That's just awesome. Um, how else are re your renewals being affected by current um, circumstances? I'm really curious to dig into this. Looks like Amy has maybe a question. Or, yeah, Amy, so, does, Amy had a question in the Q&A. She said, we split all our scholarship payouts between the first and second semester and only check in for eligibility purposes based on the first semester grades before, before paying out the second payout. So that was her um, comment. Great, so good, uh, just grade checks. And I think grade checks are probably the most common way that we are checking in with students. But as Lauren said, not the only way that we can be checking in with students. And, of course, everything depends on your capacity as a foundation, but there's some, some really great wins that can be had by, uh, by figuring out how to support your students without additional dollars. So let's see, anybody with a raised hand here? Um, I'm with the Faskin Foundation. It's a small family foundation in Midland, Texas. Great, well, thanks for joining us. What was uh, your comment? Well, I have a question. We yeah. um, are sometimes, we're very small staff. It's me and an executive director. And 
we manage approximately 32 scholarships um, every semester. And are y'all finding it a challenge to get your recipients to supply the information back to you, like they're invoicing in their um, grades and um, a request for renewal, um, because we, we've kind of, we, we struggle with that. We're chasing the kids for us to give them money. And so we're kind of struggling with that. Absolutely, Nancy, I think you hit on the like age old difficulty in scholarships that just doesn't seem like it should be hard, but it always is. Um, yeah, like you said it perfectly, you're chasing them down to give them money. Uh, I know that we've had a couple of um, folks in the chat who have kind of alluded to the same thing. I'd you know, love for you and for anyone to raise your hand and talk about kind of how you make this easier, how you make this, uh, how you have managed this. Um, one note that I'll say, Nancy, is giving students a a complete list of what you're going to be asking them for um, at the offset. So if there's different timing that you need different things, that is not to say that they are going to keep track of all of that in advance, but it just kind of gives them an idea. Um, the other thing is sometimes the phrasing that we use when we ask for, like you said, invoicing. So a student might not use that terminology or a university might not use that terminology and it could be causing some like additional hurdles there that you just don't don't need and don't mean to put in place. And it's just the, the combination of business terminology with um, university and student terminology. So I just encourage you to, um, to look at kind of other options and how to phrase those things. Um, yeah, so, and the, the other thing I would just recommend, and Lauren, I'll be um, interested to hear your feedback on this as well, is, you know, being as flexible as you can be in what documents are going to meet that criteria. So a lot of times students can access things on their student portal for their university fairly easily. Um, and so if they can do a screenshot or something like that and get it to you and have that work, that's gonna be so much easier for them than if they have to go into the financial aid office. Um, that means hours in line usually and um, talking with people and hoping that you're getting the right thing. So it can just end up being a big hassle for students. So the more flexible you can be on how you get that, how you receive that documentation, the easier it will be to um, get it back from students. Yeah, I would echo that flexibility and even the flexibility to um, accept unofficial transcripts. I know that's always Absolutely. a big conversation and I, I never want an applicant to have to go pay for their transcript to submit to me. That just seems so, opposite of what, of what we're trying to do. So um, unofficial transcripts, I would echo this, this screenshot for anything that's um, need-based and we need that financial verification. I always, um, when students are having questions um, on what they need to submit, I always say, please just, you're on your phone, send me a screenshot and, and send it to me via email. Um, and I think the other thing I would, I would recommend is um, you know, I always backdate my internal deadlines. So I know like my end all be all deadline for getting 
all of the documents I need for renewal applicants by a certain date, I'll give them a deadline of two weeks before that date um, so that that gives me two weeks to follow up again individually, whether it's an email or a phone call to those students to make sure that they're um, receiving the, the information and we have the correct email for them and, and that we're getting things squared away. Um, that's been beneficial to me because if they don't submit it by, by a certain date, then that um, allocated, or we don't allocate the full renewal amount um, from one of our funding cycles. So um, I would reallocate those dollars to a new applicant um, if they're not getting me their information. Yeah, I, I echo all of that. It's sometimes a strongly worded message towards the end of that um, that timeline for the student of you are at risk of losing your scholarship. You, if you, this is not in at this date, you will not receive a scholarship. Um, that can help light a fire. Now that's assuming they are checking their email, and that is not always a safe assumption with students. But you know, we do our best to communicate, and that's all that we can do. I would add on the on the email note, um, scheduling emails to go out at 8.30 p.m. to students is a wonderful um, tactic. Um, we've done that and I um, will notice that I'm getting instant replies the later at night I have scheduled emails to go out um, because that's oh, when that's interesting on their phone. So that, yeah, that is super interesting. I would not, well, I would never have guessed that. That's a great tip. Um, all right. Anything else on on renewals? If not, I'd love to get into this quick discussion, um, and I'm sure it will turn into a much larger discussion uh, on uh, Compass about new um, scholarships and new funding. And you know, this is a time where it's appropriate. I mean, it's always appropriate, but to go to donors to say, you know, this is a need for, you know students in this current climate. Um, and so the need that we're talking about kind of came up in a conversation that Lauren and I had uh, prior to today about, you know, so many of our scholarships are dedicated to students graduating from high school, but there's, there's gap years happening for a good reason right now. There's um, students taking some some extended time off for not choosing the college route, and there's adults returning to college um, because they've been laid off or they're looking for something um, more than what they're currently able to earn. So there's a lot of really great stories um, and data out there to support additional asks from donors for new funds and new, um, new uh, requirements on funds. So maybe they always funded graduating high school seniors, but now they're willing to expand that and consider additional, you know, student applicants. So I'm just really curious to hear if any of you are having these conversations, how you're having these conversations, and um, yeah, just what you see as the need. Hi, this is Beth again. Um, Hi, Beth. Virgin Islands Community Foundation. So we actually changed some of our scholarships last year because when we put out our application, it was about March of last year when COVID was starting. So we kind of last minute changed a few of our scholarships so that we could give funds directly to students to purchase technology, 
like laptops, headphones, anything to help with virtual learning. Because um, a lot of the kids, at least in the Virgin Islands, don't always have access to um, the equipment that they need or even internet at home, the supplies that they need. And I think we're probably going to try and do the same thing this year because um, we're still seeing kids with those needs. Um, and I guess just being flexible, you know, and if do, do they want to get the money directly sent to themselves versus sent to the school so that, you know, if they want the money to themselves, they can have a little bit more flexibility in how they spend the funds, but they would have to provide us with receipts, which then goes into the whole issue with following up and getting in touch with everyone. Um, though I do find that texting a lot of the students is the way to go. Uh, they seem to be much more responsive texting versus emails. Um, but I think that having the ability for them to use the money to buy laptops and headphones has been a huge bonus. And this year, we're also trying to increase all of our scholarship funds. So a lot of our scholarships were only $1,000, which really doesn't go very far. So we're doing outreach to a lot of our donors um, to increase it to a minimum of 2,500 this year. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Um, you, you hit on something that came up at a, in a, another recent webinar that we did um, that was about partnerships um, within the community. And the organization that was, that was speaking was talking about how they um, partner with different businesses to get their uh, laptops that they are replacing for their staff. So, you know, most businesses have a two or three year policy on laptops and then they replace them with a newer model. And those two or three year old laptops are still perfectly wonderful for a student and can be, you know, a huge help to them. So through that partnership, they are able to supply laptops to a lot of their students who need them um, without any additional funding going out. So just if you missed that last webinar, it is um, available uh, on, our, on our website and it's available um, through your, um, your found it platform just in that nine dot icon at the top under webinars. And I just encourage you to go back and, and listen to that partnership piece is really, really interesting. Um, Megan, do we have another hand raised? Yeah, we have Audra here. Um, I'm with Southeastern Illinois Community Foundation in Effingham, Illinois, and we are very new to the Foundant C-suite GLM SLM world, but um, very excited about the product. So, um, and, you know, we're in scholarship season, and so going to, like, this new type of scholarship needed, uh, we have several scholarships that fund um, not only high school seniors, but all through, you know, all the way through graduate school for some of them. Um, they're not renewable. You can apply multiple years after you've received it. You can, you're still eligible to apply as you're a student. Um, That's but great. when we have conversations with potential fund advisors, donors, we talk about the importance of not just getting students to to college, but to complete college. You know, it's not it's not just about getting them through the door. It's it's getting them to graduation, and that makes sense in their eyes. They don't 
I think there's this disconnect. Like, I want to do this high school senior scholarship so that I can get students into college. But we help them understand that that's just one half of the equation. And a lot of times, like, our high school seniors are applying for a lot of scholarships that are only for high school seniors. And so by the time you're a college sophomore, those funds are no longer available to you. So when we lay out that detail for fund advisors, it clicks with them and they understand. So they're willing to open that criteria up at least the four years of college, right? Like Absolutely. you can receive a scholarship three additional times, four years total. Um, yeah, that is so fantastic. Yeah, that that language really does help them understand that like that kid might get the American Legion scholarship his his senior year, but it's not going to be there when he's a college junior. So mm -hmm. can we open up? And they've been very flexible with that. So um and then we look at that with our evaluators as we're making funding decisions. You know, being a high school senior doesn't eliminate you from consideration. If you have high financial need, if that's the criteria, um, you know, we're not going to rule anyone out. But we will look at it and say, like, okay, this student has a 4.0 GPA. They're to the top of the class. They're full Pell eligible. In Illinois, you have MAP grant. So, like, they're getting all of this aid. Um, like, could they be covered for this year? And could this money go to someone else? So, like, you know, that's we have to look at the numbers to make those decisions. We don't make them lightly, but we do consider that in our decision-making process. So, yeah, no, I think that's so. I think that's great, and it it hits on this concept that, um, like, I really hold on to, which is. Donors are coming to foundations for guidance on scholarships. If they wanted to do it themselves, they could. They absolutely could do it themselves. But they're they're you know engaging with foundations and other services to be able to do it in a good way, um, recognizing that they're not the experts on scholarships. So we have such right. a, an amazing power um, when we're talking with donors and potential donors about other areas of that need that they just might not be aware of. And that's not to say that every donor is gonna, you know, hop on that bandwagon and want to fund in that way, but it's just more information and more information never hurts anything. So yeah, I strongly right. encourage everyone to, don't be afraid of those conversations. Um, I think we can do that sometimes. Uh, and I speak from personal experience, I know that <laughs> There were many times where I would be kind of intimidated by someone who wanted to make a million dollar gift and just feel like I needed to do whatever they wanted to do. But really, they were looking for to me to advise them on the best way um, to use that funding. So, yeah, it's a, something to remember. It's great, Audra. Thank you so much for that. We have a new voice here with Michelle, so I'm going to give you the floor. All right, Michelle, how are you? Good, thank you. And Michelle, where are you? What foundation are you uh, working with? Region Community Foundation in um, Jamestown, New York. Um, we recently launched a scholarship for adult learners. So it's for any residents in our Chautauqua County area who 
maybe they're going back to be a truck driver. Um, I can't say the word, phomologist. And we have like licensing, like we have one that's going to be a, a licensed nurse. She's going back for that. So we just opened that up. We originally had collaborated with a local hospital. Um, we did award some scholarship monies through that, but the collaboration wasn't what we wanted it. So we decided we'd just do it ourselves and see if we could get, you know, local residents trying to go back to school, um, you know, furthering they're staying here, they're working here, we want them here. So let's help them out. That's great. I love the idea of scholarships as a community builder, which is really what you're talking about. That idea that, you know, these are members of your community and having them, you know, having the capacity to have really, you know, good jobs, well-paying jobs and, and having what they need is a benefit to your community in general. That's fantastic. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I am excited about it too. I'm going <laughs> to have to stock the foundation online and <laughs> keep, keep learning about it. Okay. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today and co-hosting with us. Um, any final thoughts you have for our guest today? No, I think this has been great. It's been helpful for me, too, to kind of hear what you all are doing on some of the topics that um, we thought were great to bring up um, for discussion today. So, um, I made notes as we were all going through this too on things that I'm going to take back. So I just appreciate you all asking questions, sharing, and having a great conversation. Absolutely. This is one of my favorite things that we do here at Foundit. It's so collaborative and we all get to learn from each other. And it's just nice to talk to other people who speak scholarship. Um, sometimes we're a little bit alone in that. And uh, it's, it's great to have a whole group who all uh, knows what a deferral is. <laughs> you know, that's always nice. So we are going to continue this conversation on Compass. Um, you can expect to see some questions being posted on these topics. If you would like to, um, or if you have some of the things we identified were a deferral policy or deferral forms that you are willing to offer up, go search out that post and make sure that you get those forms uploaded for others to look at and use. and um, same thing with renewals. If you've got a renewal form in there or you have questions about renewals or some a great win or best practice, something that you're doing that you feel like just works really well, we want you to be part of that conversation uh, in Compass. And lastly, those new funds. We are going to keep talking about those. We're going to keep that conversation all going. So I look forward to seeing you all in there and have a great rest of your week and just, you know, Keep marching forward with these scholarships. I know it, you are in the end of application, beginning of evaluation season for many of you. Thank you for taking time to be here with us today. And I hope it was useful to you. So have a great rest of your week, everyone. Thanks so much. So that was our conversation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundant Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources 
by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 